It'll be a positive experience for you, and you'll come again. You're more than welcome. If you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 20. But if you don't, that's okay. Our ushers are coming, and they're going to pass Bibles out. Good to see you all. I hope uh, that this day turns out to be more than just another Easter and a good ham, but that your life will be enriched because of our discussions of the risen Christ. I don't often have this happen, but recently I was talking to a man down in Philly. Turned out his name was Silas. And so in the conversation, I said, hey, did you know your name is in the Bible? And he said, you know, I have been told that. So we started talking about Christianity, and I said, in fact, the guy Silas, one time he was in jail with a guy named Paul, and at midnight they were praising God, and God sent an earthquake, and when Paul and Silas were released from their prison, the jailer was so startled, he, he said to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, you, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved, and so Silas and I had already been talking about this, and, and so I said, and that's what I want for you, Silas. I want you to believe in the Lord Jesus so you could be saved. I said, do you believe that he died for your sins? He said, yeah. I said, do you believe that he rose from the dead? And he said, no, that's the one I have trouble with. I don't, I don't often have people say that. Maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you're around people who um, struggle with the idea of someone rising from the dead. It's interesting to me because I'm not so sure that that's probably as pressing of a cultural issue as it used to be. I think with the rise of postmodernism, it used to be that we, we were struggling, people were struggling to find the truth. And so we became convinced that science would help us to, to really come to the truth about where we came from and why am I here and where am I going? But I think Basically, people got disillusioned because science couldn't, couldn't offer up a substantial answer to those questions. And so, if you've heard the term, term postmodernism, postmodernism has kind of gone further and said, maybe the problem is not, can science give us truth? Maybe we better give up on the pursuit of truth. Maybe, maybe there really isn't such a thing as absolute truth. And so, you know, that's why you'll hear people to say, well, that, that's true for, or that's my truth. Or and you sort of go, wait a minute, what? Is that possible to have different versions of truth? And so this morning, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture where, where we'll see a man, Thomas, and some of you know this story. He wrestled, he wrestled with the reality that Jesus rose from the dead. And so we want to try to answer three questions this morning. Number one, how do I know if the resurrection is true? Is, is there any way to really know that that's true? We'll touch on that, but I don't think that's the biggest issue. Secondly, what? Why is it important? Does it, does it really matter? You know, I come to church on Easter and I go, okay, Jesus rose from the dead. Does it, what, what, you know, does it, does it matter? And then third, if it's true, what difference does it make today, 2,000 years ago? How, how's that going to affect my life? So we'll try to answer those three questions this morning. And usually what I like to do is just pray for a moment before we, we talk about them. So would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we're all here today. We all have... Um, things that we're happy about, but we're also I'm sure many are here with things they're perplexed about or searching or struggling or fearful or anxious, depressed. 
But Lord, you brought us together and there's a reason for that. And I believe the power of the Lord Jesus is present to perform miracles. And so I pray that the rest of our time together will be very meaningful and that your spirit will speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start with the question, how do I know if the resurrection's true? And we're going to, we're going to interact with doubting Thomas because he, he went through the same thing. Come on, seriously? So we'll start in John chapter 20 and verse 19. This was the evening of the first Easter Sunday when Christ rose from the dead. It says, when therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood in their midst. Now, people really get sort of over-preoccupied with this verse for the wrong reason. They're like, it says the doors were shut, but Jesus stood in their midst. But wait, if Jesus is risen and he has a body with flesh and bones, does that mean when we get to heaven, we'll be able to walk through walls? And I'm going, really? That's your takeaway? You know? Am I going to get up in heaven and walk up to the pearly gate and go, bam, I guess not. I mean, does that matter? That's not the big point here. The point is, Jesus rose from the dead. And when, when he showed up in their room that night, they were pretty stunned. I mean, it's so hard for us to, like, go to a funeral and come home and see the guy sitting in your living room. You're like, what just happened? So this is remarkable. And being astonished, Jesus calms them. He says, peace, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. One of the reasons he did this, the Bible says he, he gave them many convincing proofs. He wanted them to be really sure that, yeah, it's really me. I'm really alive. You can touch me. So he then said again, peace be with you. But he wasn't there just to celebrate like, yeah, we did it, right? He had been training them for three years to, to go into the world to preach the message of salvation. And he told them ahead of time, he said, now listen, in a couple days I'm going to go up and they're going to nail me to a cross. But he says, mark this down, in three days I'm going to rise from the dead. And they're like, huh? So now that it happened, he wants to go right back to the mission. Don't lose the mission. He says, since I'm risen, verse 21, as the Father sent me, I also send you. Send you where? Send me why? And, and, and if you're a Christian, you understand that. He's sending us to our friends, our family, our neighbors, and to the world to reach out to them with this message of the gospel. But to try to bring people to a relationship with Christ is absolutely impossible apart from divine empowerment. And so Jesus says, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You go, what? Now, 40 days from this event, the Holy Spirit was going to descend in a powerful new way at Pentecost, and he was going to indwell everyone. So let's just say this was a temporary fill-up. This was enough fuel to, to, to get him to the next station, right? But this was an empowerment that would enable them to do ministry even during these 40 days. So he says to them, 
if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now, they didn't have the power. Peter couldn't say, bless you, your sins are forgiven. Jesus said, go and preach that I've died and rose again. And whoever repents and believes will receive the forgiveness of sin. So, so he's empowering them to pronounce forgiveness to anyone who repents and believes. But notice verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And so we go, well, where was Tom? So let's just assume he was, it was his night to do the Duncan run. So, so couldn't have been Chick-fil-A because it's Sunday, right? So <laughs> he's at Dunkin' Donuts. He gets back. <clears throat> he's giving Peter his decaf. And, and the guys are like, Tom, man, check this out. Jesus was just here. And he's like, yeah, right. Come on, you guys. Seriously? No, he, I'm telling you, he was just here. Even we touched him. Verse 25. The other disciples were saying, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, no, unless I see his hands and the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails, put my hand in the side, I will not believe. Right? Now we call him doubting Thomas. Now I'm not sure. I'd, I think sometimes this guy gets a bad rap like, I kind of don't blame him a little bit. Can, can you cut him a little slack? Like, well, great. I'm glad, I'm glad that works for you, your religion, you know, but there's nothing happening for me. One of my dear friends growing up um, said to me one time, and I used to tell him about the Lord after I was saved, and he says, something's missing in my life. And I said, yeah, I know what it is. It's the Lord Jesus. That's what's missing. Jesus said, if any man's thirsty, let him come to me. And he says, well, I'll say this. If it's Jesus, he's going to have to convince me apart from this book. And I go, w w what do you mean by that? Like, do you, do you want some sign that Jesus is alive and he's what you need? And he said, yeah. And I said, I said are you sure? I said, what do you want? Like a near-death experience or something? And so we have a lot of sort of pseudo-skeptics out there going, well, if he comes down and appears to me, then maybe, you know, I'll... I'll change my ways and start following, but it's not going to happen. But notice the compassion of Jesus in verse 26. After eight days, the disciples were inside, and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and he, he stood in their midst again, right? So he shows up again. He says, peace be with you. Now, of course, who knows what's going through Thomas's mind? Like, it, it, it's real. Right? But just to seal the deal, Jesus says, Tom, come here a minute. Reach here your fingers and see my hands. Reach here your hand. Put it into my side. Now, now he's given him a commandment. Now think about it. He says, be not unbelieving. Stop it. Stop disbelieving that I rose from the dead. And start believing. And I want to talk about that because there is a, a, a radical difference between an intellectual assent, like I believe in George Washington, versus this kind of believing in the risen Jesus. But Thomas was just absolutely awestruck. So, so look what he says in verse 28. He looks at, he looks at Jesus. He doesn't go, well, I'll be, Jesus. You really did rise. He just, he just goes, my, my Lord and my God. Like, like it all came flooding over him like, hey, if this guy rose from the dead, he's Lord. He's, he's my Lord, my master. He's my God. Like this was a profound 
experience for Thomas that changed him forever. Now, lest Thomas should um, have remarkable feelings about his great faith, Jesus kind of brings him down there. He goes, Tom, because you see me, you believe? He, and almost kind of like, that's, that's, that's not a big feat there, pal. Like, you know, I had to show up. Because in the other Gospels, it says he had to correct and, and rebuke the disciples for their unbelief. So maybe there's sort of a, a subtle correction. Like, Tom, you know, we probably shouldn't have had to do this. You know, I told you it was going to happen. I want you to believe whether you saw me or not. But then he throws out this wonderful statement. He says in verse 29, Blessed are those who did not see and yet believe. See, now we fast forward. Now here we're standing here and going, all right, so that was a long time ago. I can, I can tell you, he's not going to show up in your room and say, touch my hands. So the question is, what does that mean? Blessed are those who who have not seen, right? I mean, we look at a, a couple sticks of wood and we talk about this guy that rose from the dead, this prophet from Nazareth. What does it mean? Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. So I want to start with this question. Well, you know, if I'm going to believe it, how do I know if the resurrection is true? I guess I'd start with this question. How do you know any historical thing is true? I mean, do you believe in Socrates? Do you believe in Plato or Alexander the Great? You're, well, yeah, I mean, history attests to them. Okay. Matter of fact, I had a lady one time say to me, Jesus had long hair. I said, he did. That's remarkable. And how did you know that? She said, well, I saw a picture of him. <laughs> said, wow, that thing's worth a lot of money. You know? <laughs> I'll buy it from you. <laughs> So the reality is, how do you know any historical thing's true? You examine the evidence. If somebody told me Saddam Hussein was, was alive, I'd probably laugh at first, but you know, I'd be open if, if, if not to believing that it happened, but I'd be like, well, on what basis? Are you, is this just something you just made up? So when, when you examine evidence, there really is some very credible evidence for the resurrection. And let me, let me just say this. No one can prove the resurrection. I think it was George Hansen who said, the difficulties to believe the resurrection are great, but the absurdities of unbelief are greater. So a lot of people think Christianity is only for dumb people. Like, duh, science proves that people don't rise from the dead. You don't have to be a, a, a dumbbell or take your brains out to become a believer. So some of the evidence, it starts with just the historical evidence and the written documents. There were at least eight authors who, who wrote of having personally witnessed the resurrection of Christ. And, and their letters were gathered together by, by early Christians and eventually became part of what, what we believe are the inspired scriptures. So these eight gentlemen all claim to have seen the risen Christ. And, and the Bible says that. The Bible tells us that Jesus gave them many convincing proofs. There's 10 of them recorded in the New Testament appearances, one time to 500 people. So, all right, you go... Okay, so there's a bunch of people in history that said it happened. That doesn't prove it. But then secondly, you add another layer to that, and that is that these resurrection appearances fulfilled some previously written predictions. Okay? So, for example, if I said, I'm going to make a prediction. Villanova's going to beat Kansas. You're like, <laughs> how do you do that? Right? Well, some people have that view of the Old Testament, that, that these 
that these texts that were written in the Old Testament were written after Jesus. But historically, nobody believes that because since the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in the 1940s, they date way back before the time of Christ. And they have all the Old Testament scrolls there. So nobody's going, oh, they wrote this afterward. But if you just pull out the Dead Sea Scrolls, don't do that. You'll be arrested at the museum. You're not allowed to touch them. But you look at them, and these are documents written hundreds of years before the time that Jesus lived on earth, this prophet from Nazareth. And they made predictions of a resurrection. And we heard some of them on Friday night. So mathematically, the stakes are pretty high to make predictions like that and have them all fulfilled. There were 300 predictions in the Old Testament scriptures about where Jesus would be born, born of a virgin, but particularly predictions that he would rise from the dead. So you go, all right, so there's these historical documents. They appear to have fulfilled these testimonies from the Old Testament, these prophecies. But then even the guys who were, were claiming to have seen it, the apostles... There's, there's a sense in which when you believe something, you sort of examine the credibility of the witnesses. I went, once went to court, not for me, okay, but I, right before the, the person that I was there to support, these two guys who had robbed a jewelry store in Newtown said to the judge, we wasn't planning on robbing nobody, Your Honor. We just ran out of gas, and then we went in the jewelry store, and I don't know what happened. And, and the judge says, well... Um, Someone saw you put a knife in your belt right before you went in the jewelry store. You weren't there to browse, fellas. Five years in prison. And you go, come on, these, these guys are liars, right? But the apostles, think about what the Bible says. When, when Jesus was arrested and was being beaten and crucified, they all ran away. I mean, they just fled to avoid a beating. But yet, not long after that, they all boldly went around preaching to everybody that Jesus is alive. And, and if you read church history, and just history, 11 of them died as martyrs, you know, given the opportunity to say, okay, it was a, it was a cruel hoax. JK, it didn't really happen. Put the sword down. So, so someone once said it this way. They said, if they ran away when he was alive to avoid beatings, why would they later lie and accept beatings? So you go, okay, well, that, that adds a layer of credibility. And then for 2,000 years, history and Christianity has sort of expanded and grown. So let's bring in um, somebody who has some credibility on this. There's a fellow by the name of Simon Greenleaf. He developed Harvard Law School. So you're like, okay, well, now it's not you know, just some guy. One of the most skilled legal minds that, that America ever produced, this guy was a, an expert on the question of what constitutes sound evidence. We all like to watch CSIs of DNA and evidence. He read and studied the, the Gospels, and this is what he said. He said, it's impossible that these guys could have persisted in affirming these truths had not Jesus actually risen from the dead. So throughout history, people have been going, oh, come on, he didn't really rise from the dead. So they come up with theories. There's one theory you could go to a liberal seminary and be taught this. You know, imagine there are pastors that are preaching this. He didn't really rise from the dead. It was the swoon theory. He, he was very, very badly injured. But he wasn't really dead. So they were mistaken. So when they put him in there, once he rested in the cool grave, he came to and, and got up, right? 
And you're going, that's ridiculous. He was wrapped up like a mummy. How did he get out of that? And then secondly, there was this gigantic stone that covered the tomb. Who moved the, the stone away? And then others have suggested that his body was stolen. And Matthew chapter 28 discusses that. To this day, says the Jews paid off people to say that his body was stolen. And then some have even suggested that the apostles were hallucinating. That, you know, Peter was nipping at the peyote. And he's like, whoa, Jesus. But there's just too many, too many testimonies. Like, like, one time he appeared to 500 people. So the idea of one guy hallucinating, maybe two, but all these different people all hallucinating. So while this doesn't prove the resurrection, at least I want you to think about the implications. All right, so what if he rose from the dead? Why is it important? Well, Christians believe it's the, it's the central doctrine of the Christian faith. If it's not true, the whole thing's a, a wash. So, number one, it confirms that Jesus is God. This is why some of you, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he says, let's put an end to this nonsense where people go, Jesus was a great teacher, but he wasn't God. So, so he goes, think about what you're saying. Yeah. I love this guy. Love what he teaches. Do unto others. But he wasn't God. But the problem is, Lewis says, but he said he was God. He said he was going to die and rise again. And he said, no one comes to God but through me. So Lewis says, if he wasn't God, then he's a liar, a lunatic, or a poached egg. In other words, why would I believe anything Jesus said if he claimed to be God and he wasn't? So so let's make that assumption. If the resurrection is true, it's important because it affirms that Jesus is God. That's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 1 says, he was declared to be the son of God through the resurrection from the dead. And if he's God, remember when Jesus said, no one comes to God but through me to the Father, then it raises the stakes because now Christianity becomes exclusive. People say, well, you know, Christians are so narrow-minded, you know. What makes you think your way is the only way? And I'm going, wait, don't shoot the messenger. If Jesus isn't God, it's not. But if he is, he has every right to say, my way or the highway. If he's God, then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through me. So if he's God, that's, that's one reason why it's important. Secondly, it, it doesn't just confirm that he's God, but it confirms that, that my sins are forgiven, this is what we want to know. Do, do you want to know that for sure? Like, are, are you comfortable with just going to a priest and him saying, say ten Hail Marys and your sins are forgiven? Does that, does that, does that resonate in your soul? You go, yeah, I, I'm sure I'm, that makes me certain that I'm forgiven, right? Or just read a book, I'm okay, you're okay. Maybe there's no such thing as sin. Oh, that whole guilt thing, that's just psychobabble. People are trying to scare us with religion, right? So, if you owed a debt you couldn't pay, I'm going to use an analogy. Now, all the Italians here, go with this. Work with me, okay? It's not personal. Imagine that you owed the mob a huge debt. You're like, I'm insulted already. <laughs> I could use the Russians. You know, there's, just, there's other mobs out there. Relax, okay? But you owed the mob a debt you couldn't pay, and basically... You're a marked man to die. But you happen to have a friend, Guido, who says, I can talk to Frankie and take care of it, man. 
so, so, so you drive over to Frankie's mansion, and you, some of you Italians are like, I'm shooting this guy right after the service. Right? It's like the Pope, when the Pope said Muslims are violent, and they kidnapped someone to prove they weren't. They kidnapped a priest, and he goes, okay, you're not violent. All right? So love you guys. So here's what happens. Guido goes in, and he says, I'll take care of it. I'll be right back. Right? You're sitting in the car. Guido never comes out, right? So do you just drive away going, whew, glad that debt's all taken care of. <laughs> I don't have to look over my shoulder anymore, right? Every time I see a guy with a violin, I just relax now because I'm good. No, because he never came out. And you're going, I don't know what happened in there. <laughs> Think about the same thing with Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, he said, they're going to they're gonna put me up on a cross and I'm going to die for your sins, I'm going to pay for them. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be the lamb who will take them away. God will punish me instead of you. I will shed my blood because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. That's what's going to happen. And so I'll pay for you, the whole thing. I'll go in and, and stand before God in your stead. But three days later, I'm going to come out of the grave, right? What if he never came out? Am I forgiven or am I not? So the resurrection is important because it confirms that, that you can be forgiven and you can know you're forgiven. The Bible says in Romans 4.25, Jesus was delivered up to the cross because of our sins, but he was raised up from the dead because of our justification. You can know that you are completely forgiven when you repent and come to Christ because he rose from the dead. And that's important. It also proves that Jesus conquered death. See, death, I hate death. Death is, the very word is dark and hideous. It's agonizing. But we know from the Bible why death came into this world. It's because of sin. And so Jesus goes into the grave and he dies. But then the Bible says he put an end to the agony of death. He, he, he defeated death. Remember the old gospel hymn, Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus my Lord. And, 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 and so for a Christian, I go, because Jesus conquered death, I can have this sense of hope that there is a life beyond the grave, that, that because he lives, I have hope that I'll live. You go, these are, these are interesting propositions, Reverend Allen. Please don't call me that. But what difference does it make in my life? So let me press home some, some, some ways that you can think about this. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus, if you truly believe it, it will change your life in remarkable ways, okay? Now, let me explain what I mean by that because there's a lot of people that assent to the resurrection verbally, right? Well, yeah, I believe that. I grew up in a... In a Protestant church where we stood up every Sunday. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. I believe he was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. And then we'd say, on the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended up to heaven, sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he's coming to judge the living and the dead. And you know what? Every Sunday when I went, I'd say that. But it absolutely made no difference in my life. None whatsoever. 
And frankly, there are millions of Americans who intellectually assent to that. Like, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I, I believe in George Washington. I believe he rose from the dead. The Bible says there are many people in the last days who will hold to a form of religion but deny its power. And the resurrection of Jesus is that link of God's power that changes our lives. So in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul said this to the Christians. He says, I'm praying that you will know the power that is available to you that God demonstrated when he raised Christ from the dead. He said, well, well, what do you mean by that? Power to do what? Can I go do miracles? Well, to me, miracles are the power of having your life changed by Jesus, right? So maybe you're selfish. If you repent and you believe in Christ, that, that resurrection power is infused into your life, and suddenly you begin to, to have longings to serve, Maybe you have an addiction. There are so many people with substance and food, all kinds of addictions, right? There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ through his resurrection that's available to live, to, to literally draw onto, to, to, to recharge your spiritual iPhone of your soul and, 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 and do what God wants you to do. See, Christianity is not about just signing up and trying to follow Jesus. It's giving your life to the risen Christ who then gives his powerful resurrected life to you. And the life that we now live, it's the risen Christ within me. So I want to encourage you, if you're a Christian this morning, we all struggle. And and there's things that God's asking you to do. Like, my spouse is difficult to love. Novel. Never heard that one before, right? It might even be you're difficult to love. But as a Christian, the Bible says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so there's remarkable power available to us as Christians to overcome the difficult things of life, like like fear and anxiety and depression. It's not like just say a prayer and everything's happy-go-lucky, but... But there's a, a life-giving, pulsing reality. The songwriter said, I serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is with me, whatever men may say. See, that's the risen Lord Jesus. When you're really a believer, Jesus says, he says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth, and I'm with you. So we have Christ in us. So maybe you're discouraged about your spouse or your child. Maybe you're discouraged about your circumstances, your job. Maybe you're like, man, I'm worried about the future of this country. Or I'm, I'm worried about my, my, my health. The doctor's using words like cancer. Or, or I, lost, I lost a loved one. I, or I, I, you don't understand. And I'm going, I might not understand personally, but I can assure you that because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, there's tremendous power to those who, who come and avail themselves of that power. I remember reading about this little old man. There were two of them on um, one of those little, you know, overhangs at Niagara Falls, and the one old man says, that's the greatest source of un- unused power in the world. And the other old man was a Christian. He said, no, no, he said... The resurrection of Jesus is the greatest source of unused power because the Holy Spirit is making that available. 
but we have to connect with Jesus. You have to, you have to repent and believe with your heart and be willing to follow him. And then he'll infuse that power into your life. So I really want you to think about that. Because the reality is that many of us are blind to the meaning of the resurrection of Christ. You know, you, you've been saying this stuff and hearing this stuff for years. But it's made no difference in your life. It's, it's pretty embarrassing when you find out that you've been blinded. But it's remarkable when you see. I had a real embarrassing experience last night. This has to stay in the family. But <laughs> my wife reads at night. Most of you know this. I've, I've told the family this. And as a result of that, I can't sleep with the lights on. So I've succumbed myself to just wear those dopey little black shades. Now, I know that your therapist will have to help you work through that. You know, you're poking your mind's eye out. So every night I sleep with those black things on because I can't sleep with the lights on, right? My wife will say, close your eyes. Like, oh, I can't tell, you know. I don't have thick eyelids. I was born with real thin ones, you know. So, um, but last night my, my cell phone, it, it buzzed. I got, a, I got a, a text, right? So I reach over and I grab the phone. And, of course, if you have an iPhone, you press a button and lights up, tells you a text. So I press a button, didn't light up. I'm like, dang. No, it's, it can't be dead. So I press it again. can't be dead. It's charged. Just charged it. Try to get it. And then all of a sudden I feel, oh, <laughs> hey. <laughs> so, but you know, the idea of seeing something that you didn't see before is a remarkable illustration of Christianity. Because the Bible uses that on, on a number of occasions. It says the same God who shone in the darkness causes the light of the gospel to shine in our hearts. And, and I pray that for some of you, that's going to happen to you this morning. That this will not just be another, hey, happy Easter, put Jesus back in his basket and see you at Christmas. But that your eyes will be open and you'll go, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I see that Christ lives, and, and I believe that. So it, it gives us power, but it also gives us hope. Some of you may know that um, we've had a, a rough week as a church family. One of our new attenders, uh, her brother, um, passed in his early 50s. Um, a dear friend of ours from Langhorn Press, um, her husband passed this week. And then many of you know our own Jesse Abraham this week went to be with the Lord just suddenly, 42 years old with four children, and we're gone. What? But this is where Christianity really becomes a reality. What do I really believe? The Bible says, if you're a believer in Christ, we don't sorrow like those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then the Lord's going to bring with him all of those who have fallen asleep as believers in Christ. And so, so what, a, what a confident comfort it gave me to say and look and look Jesse and the children in the eye and say, I assure you, you will see your mother again. I promise you, based on the word of God, that, that Jesus is coming back. And the Bible says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And we are going to be with the Lord forever. That's, that's what keeps us going. That's what gives us hope in our struggles. Some of you have lost loved ones recently. What would be the point if there was no hope beyond the grave? And, and recently, I, I did a funeral for a family that's not from the church. 
But, but on her deathbed, the, 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 the mother says to me, I do want to believe and become a follower of Christ. What a remarkable thing to see a person, the Bible calls that becoming saved, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart and you shall be saved. So I was able to then look at the family and say, do you want to see her again? Then you need to do what she did. You need to be saved. You need to turn to the Lord and, and become a Christ follower, a believer. And the Bible says that you'll be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. You know, the resurrection has a practical implication. It, it keeps us going. I get tired sometimes of, of serving and, and doing things and going to church. And You know, maybe you're in a slump. You're like, I read my Bible, I fall asleep, or I teach Sunday school, and those, those little rascals aren't paying attention. You know, the, the, the daily grind of, of living your life for God instead of yourself can be arduous, and at times it feels like, am I making any difference? The Apostle Paul, when he wrote about the great truth of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, the last verse, he says, Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because your labor is not in vain. And so I want to encourage you, if you're kind of a fringe Christian, Christ wants you to be all in. And he wants you to serve him. See, I'm not sure what happened to that concept, that people are like, sort of like consumers. Jesus is is convenient, and I'll give them an hour on Sunday. No, it's, it's the exact opposite. If, if I believe that Christ died and rose again, I spend the, the rest of my life serving him, not because I'm paying him back, but because I owe him everything. And so if, you, if you're like, I used to be more active. I used to witness to people. I used to open my home. I used to get together. I used to be in a small group. Don't be a used to be. Keep on persistently serving the Lord, doing those things that the Lord's calling you to do because it's not in vain. But lastly, I want to remind you that the most important difference the resurrection makes in our life is it calls us to ask the question, am I a follower? Am I saved? Do I believe it's a really interesting verse that we just looked at in Romans chapter 10. And this is what it says. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart you believe, resulting in salvation, and with the tongue you confess, resulting in righteousness. So, so let me ask you this question. If you were to die today and God were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? Would you say, well, because I'm religious. So if that's what you're thinking, then you need to repent of that this morning. You've been misled by someone. The Bible does not welcome religious people to salvation. It welcomes sinners who come to Christ in faith alone. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? That he went into God he satisfied the payment, and then he came out of the grave. If you believe that in your heart, then the Bible says you need to confess it with your mouth. In other words, you publicly identify yourself as a follower of Christ. Okay? It doesn't mean you come to church on Christmas and Easter. It's radical. Like, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. Jesus is now my Lord. 
So if, if the Lord says, do that, I'm doing it. Because he's my Lord. He's my Savior. I'm going to start following him. I'm not going to be one of those people, the Bible says, who holds to a form of godliness, denies its power. So this, this morning as we close, I want to invite you to give your life to Christ today and to publicly say, yes, from this day forward, I will become a Christ follower. I believe that, that this man, Jesus, is God, the, 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 the one who paid for me and rose from the dead. And I'm going to invite him into my life to follow him, to be forgiven And then when I leave this world, I have this absolute assurance that I'm going to be with him forever. So, so where do I begin? Well, whenever you read in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and you can, you can read this, when the apostles got done preaching about the death of Jesus and resurrection, and then they would just give an invitation. They would say, now, is there anybody that wants to repent of their sins and, and follow Christ as a believer? And they didn't go like this. Just go like this. Keep it a secret. You don't have to tell anyone. Who's going to identify with Christ? You in or out? And so people would actually come up and, 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 and say, yes, I believe that. And I'm ready to follow Christ. And they would, they would then baptize them. And so as we close this morning, Benjamin's going to come. We're going to sing a song called Because He Lives. And I don't do this all the time, but I didn't even do it in the last service. But before this service, I felt compelled. I was talking with Pastor John. I'm just going to give, give you an opportunity here. Now, let me be real clear. Coming forward is not going to get you to heaven. If you don't come forward, that's not how you get saved. But if you believe what you just heard from the word of God, that Jesus died and rose again, and you want to repent from your sins, or maybe you just recently did that, and, and, and you said, yes, I see it now. I believe in Christ, and I want to follow him. Then the Bible says, confess that with your mouth. In other words, make that public. And the means by which I want to invite you to do that is to do something pretty radical, and that is to just come up and stand with me on the floor here. And, and, and don't come if you've come before. It's not something you have to repeat. And if you're, don't come because your cousin says, hey, you want to come. But if you go, hey, I get this. I believe in Christ, and I want to follow him. I believe, and I want to be saved. Then come and stand with me. Don't let fear from what people think get in the way of your relationship with the risen Christ. Maybe you'll come alone. Maybe you'll come as a family. Whatever God says to you, if the Holy Spirit's speaking, I won't be discouraged if no one comes, but I just feel compelled to give this opportunity. So we're going we're gonna to remain seated as we sing just the first and last line of Because He Lives. And if God has spoken to you and you, and you say, hey, I believe and I want to be a follower, you come and stand with me as we sing.